Welcome and welcome to the podcast. If this is your first time, a podcast is a personally oriented discussion centered all around select topics. And today's topics are all about the psychology of money and how childhood trauma can lead to adult spending habits. My guest today is Dave Wan, a founder and CEO of Budget Captain, which is a holistic financial wellness company. Who am I? I'm Will Tarashuk, the founder of Willie T Productions, as well as a professional podcast host. So grab onto your wallet, open your minds, because we're going to get a deep understanding of why you are going to spend so much money on Black Friday. All right, Dave. And just like that, the podcast has started. We are recording and we are all set and ready to go, my friend. Good morning. How are you? It is a Friday morning as of recording this, and I cannot be more happy and excited to do this. How are you, my friend? Good. Good, Will. Hey, good morning to you. I am so pumped to be here and just uh, looking forward to such a, a, a really good conversation with you uh, when, when it comes to psychology of money and our money history and why we do what we do. Yeah, pretty much, man. That's, that's your expertise. So you are the expert. I am the one looking for answers. Let's start off with the first one. Just give me a basic foundational definition of money psychology. People call it um, behavioral economics, but money psychology, whatever term you prefer, please go ahead. Give us a definition. Yeah. So when it comes to money psychology, um, it's essentially our behaviors around money and everything that contributes to it. And when I say everything, like I mean everything, right? So I focus on the behavioral side versus the clinical side. Um, you'll need to get professional help for that. But I believe a really good starting point is identifying unhealthy money patterns and behaviors in your life and then digging deep as to why those actions are happening in the first place. And so you're, you're mixing mental health into that and understanding how your brain works, understanding how it's being developed when you were a child and all of those things early on in age is going to impact and dictate and determine how you behave with money as an adult. So um, behavior is like the underlying definition, but you go, much deeper uh, into that and see what see what that looks like. Absolutely. And I feel like this is a relatively, not a new thing, because money psychology has always been around, right? You see a lot with advertising. McDonald's uses red because red is associated with hunger and hunger associates with McDonald's and food and yada, yada, yada. But not so much on the the consumer to consumer side or the, the more the consumer side of, okay, businesses can understand your money psychology, but you need to understand it yourself. I mean, has this been around for a while? Because I've been seeing it popping up more and more and more. Behavioral economics is a, a master's program in a lot of business schools. The understanding of why you spend how you spend is is like a breakthrough, like boom, light bulb moment. So how relatively new is this whole process? Uh, it, it's been around forever, but it's it just hasn't been talked about uh, as of late. Um, mental health just hasn't been one of those topics that is talked about in society that much. Um, but the tide is, is starting to change and you can't, you can't separate money and mental health, uh, from the same sentence. It has to always be together. So I actually, I actually believe the conversation around money and mental health is, is changing. So, so it's really important to understand like why you're behaving the way you do and why you are spending the money the way you do. And, and when it comes to money, like everything about us, our behaviors, our darkest secrets, things that we don't even want to share with people are revealed in money. And the people that make money off of us already know that, right? So they're actually targeting our weakest spots um, in order to 
have us open up our wallet or our, our pocketbooks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all about, you know, we're, we're approaching November, so Black Friday is coming. And it's just, you know, the psychology of a sale. You see that, ooh, it happened to me literally yesterday. So I bought, I bought a new video game because the new one that's out, Spider-Man 2, is only available on PlayStation 5, which I have a PC. I'm a PC gamer, so it's not available. But Spider-Man Miles Morales is 40% off, and I bought it. I didn't think twice about it. I bought it instantly. I've been telling myself all week, you know, you don't need new games. You don't need this. You don't need that. But I saw that sale, 40% off, only 20 bucks, and I bought it. So this like, how do you explain the psychology of a sale? What, what like makes that thing in our brain tick to trick us to go thing? I need this now. <clears throat> so when it comes to um, the psychology of a sale, I mean, like our brain is just crazy how it works. But um, I, I like to uh, take a look at money and uh, combine that with our identity, right? like keeping up with the Joneses. Like, why is that happening? Why do we need that new car or that new game? Or what, what is the reason behind that? So I think it's important to look at the behavior. Like, oh, this is making me, me tick or this is making me falter. And here I am trying to buy these things. So why is that happening? And I believe there's like a void in somebody's life, perhaps. Like, now, when I'm, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about above and beyond the bare minimum to live. But why is that happening? I think there's a void in people's hearts um, that people are trying to fill with stuff, right? And so it's really important to understand like why, why we're doing that. And um, a lot of those behaviors are actually rooted uh, deeply in our childhood. Um, so yeah, so... They want you to fit in. They want you to be happy. They want you to get that dopamine hit um, when you when you buy these things. But then that's that's going to die off, you know. So it's really important to understand like why that's happening um, versus all the external things like advertisements and what they're what they're trying to do. Uh, it's important to understand yourself because if the foundation and your money identity is is not on stable ground then you're going to be whiplash back and forth um, whenever there's like ads popping up all over the place. I mean, it also feels good, right? You buy, you buy that thing and it is that, that instant gratification. And in, in a world where attention spans are so short, you know, who knows how long I'll be playing that game for? But I played it last night and it felt amazing. But that, that, little, that little juice of, oh, I did something. And, you know, you work so hard. You work all these hours. It's, you want to treat yourself every now and then. So it's just outside factors can also play into inside behavioral reactions. Yeah. Uh, you do get that feel good moment, Yeah, but, but it's important to understand how dopamine actually works, mm -hmm. right? It's a chemical that's released into your body. And if you take a look at like dopamine levels, it's actually highest in anticipation of a reward, not when you get the reward. Right. So when you buy something, the action leading up to it, the moment leading up to it is actually when dopamine is gradually rising and at the peak. But as soon as, soon as you buy it, it's going to start crashing pretty, pretty quickly. And that makes sense, too, because how many times you bought something and you get home, and you go, why did I buy this? Why, why, why do I have this? And then that's just that's just how it works. That makes that makes a lot of sense because, yeah, yeah, I never thought of it like that. The anticipation of getting something is way better than actually getting something. This is another foundation, foundation of psychology. You always want what you don't have. And once you want it, 
once you get it, then you want something else. You know, you see this all the time with business. And I mean, it's called, it's called moving the goalposts. Like six months ago, I would, I would have, I would say I, in my business, I want, I have what I wanted six months ago. Well, now that I have it, I want something else. And, you know, that can also probably be tied to the psychology and trauma, but I do want to shift the conversation more towards childhood trauma because that's kind of your bread and butter. You know, I, I do a lot with financial people, but I've always heard, you know, psychology, this build a budget, that, but childhood trauma is the first one for me. So how did you come up with this thesis of, you know, childhood traumas lead to financial spending habits because childhood traumas can lead to a bunch of different things in all aspects of life. You know, your childhood shapes your adulthood. But finances, it works the same too. And it's not something you hear too much of, about. So please introduce your thesis and how you came up with it and where it came from. So the reason why you don't like hear about money and um, like how it impacts um, our life in, in literally every way possible is because literally everything about us, everything about us is tied to money. Everything. So in a relationship, you could hide something if you really wanted to. And at work, you could hide something if you wanted to. But when it comes to money, your behaviors are going to come up to the surface and be revealed. So the thesis that I came up with is actually, uh, I'm sure other people have come up with it, but I, I've lived through the pain myself, which is why, um, which is why, um, it was really, it was really um, something that just like came up, came on to me and just made sense to me. So what happened was in 2016, I ended up buying my first house. Leading up to that home purchase, everything on paper looked perfect. I had no debt, good amount of money in savings. I had um, a, a decent net worth as a 29 year old. I just landed my dream job, and I had a plan, right? Planners talk about plans. Advisors talk about plans. I had a plan for what I wanted to do with this house. It was a five-bedroom house. Uh, I you, you live, live in my walk. dream right now, Dave. You're building up everything I want to be. So I'm just, don't crash me too hard. <laughs> no, don't crash <laughs> my dreams too hard, but please continue. So I, I, lived, I, I had a plan for what I wanted to do with this house. It was a five-bedroom house. Live in one of them and have four roommates that would pay off my mortgage and give me some, give me some extra cash flow. Okay. I mean, it, you hear this all over, all over the place, right? Do this, do that, make some extra money here and there, right? So despite having that plan, what happened? Two days after I closed on my house, I suffered the biggest panic attack of my life. Heart rate through the roof. It felt like my heart was coming out of my chest. Uh, 96 beats per minute as I was waking up. Like that never happens. It's like, it's like the same thing as like me going on a run somewhere. Like, like, why is my heart beating so fast? And that happened for about a three-month period. I would try to go to the gym to shake things off. wasn't happening. So it freaked me out. Um, it, I had terrible thoughts going through my head. And I wanted to kind of escape that fear. And part of escaping that fear was, huh, maybe I should, maybe I should sell this house. Maybe this house isn't for me. So two weeks after I closed on the house, I put it back on the market. And I was willing to lose money on it because that's how painful the situation was. I was willing to lose up to 40,000 bucks. Just doing the math, I'm like, if I could sell it for this much and lose 40 grand, that's, that's better than me going through this pain. But I did not sell the house okay. because there was no buyers. This was 2016, by the way. Uh, there were no buyers. And 
that situation forced me to actually live through my pain versus escaping from it. So if I escaped from it, it would have been a temporary band-aid where it would have felt good temporarily, but there might've been another instance in life where that fear would have come up again. So what ended up happening, what I realized was looking back, it was my subconscious fear of the unknown and fear of uncertainty, which was deeply rooted in my childhood that came up to the surface and revealed itself in this moment of time. And I said, where did that come from? Like I said, it came from my childhood. And then I started to relive some of these moments that I could consciously remember. My parents were fearful about everything. And I'm like, oh, I made an agreement. It's like I was shaking hands with myself as a kid. I made an agreement that, oh, what my mom and dad were doing, I'm going to adopt it into my own life. This is all subconscious, right? It's like it's like shaking hands with myself, but not really doing it. You don't look at your mom and go, oh, I want to be like you when I grew up. It just kind of happens, yeah. right? No, it so is you, the thing. You, you grow up and turn to your mother. And, uh, it's, or, or, it's, or your it's, dad. Or your, or your, or your father, your, right? You grow up and your, become your parents, and that's that's 100% true. I, I, yep. As I get older, I turn more and more into my parents every day, and you yep. know, in most ways, that's a compliment. Yep. So, so looking back, I was like, wow, I wanted to escape my fear, but not being able to sell my house kind of forced me to live through it and run and, and run with it and like understand what that what that was. And really work through it and 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 heal myself from it. And so once that happened, I mean, my net worth skyrocketed. Uh, my level of fear that I usually had dissipated. It allowed me to, uh, you know, jump, uh, get out of the military when I after I did about ten years in the military, get out of the military and go into the corporate world and really rocket. Um, crush it in the corporate world. And then from there, I'm like, you know what? I was still kind of running my business on, on the side. I am confident now to like run it full time. So if I still had that level of fear, um, I think that panic attack and like it just hitting me in the face would have been revealed in a different situation in life. But I was forced to like really work through that instead of running away from it. So, um, so yeah, so it, that's when I realized, oh, there's so many things that are in our childhood that impact who we are as adults today and money has so much to do with it yeah. and everything is being revealed uh, through money. Yeah. I mean, you really got to get comfortable with how you plan your finances and I'll use me as an example. Like I am very comfortable having cash on hands. Now someone might tell you or someone might tell me, I should say that, you know, that money should be in a Roth. That money should be in this. You should invest in that and have these kind of portfolios. It's like, well, yes, but I, I have those portfolios that exist, but my trauma comes more from being unemployed and I didn't have six months of savings or nine months of savings. I just didn't have it because I was, it was my first job out of college. So I want to make sure I'm never in that position again. So having cash on hand is more important to me than like putting $5,000 in NVIDIA or AMD or Amazon or stocks because I have, I have other portfolios to back me up and having cash on hand, it's just... It's, it's psychologically safe. But to your point of confronting your fears, I'm so glad you didn't sell that house because I think that would have been a bigger mistake and you have given into your fears. And the site, I, go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, I, and I'm so glad I didn't because yeah. last year I was able to sell that house for about 85% of, 85% more than what I bought it for. Hell yeah. Right? Now we're talking. And so, so looking back, I'm like, 
okay, like looking forward, if I face any other fears or I'm hesitating on whatever I need to hesitate on, I'm going to look back on my life and go, I did this seven years ago. I overcame it. And here was the result of that. So I'm going to do this and I'm going to live through the pain and then I'm going to, I'm going to rock it. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to crush it. Um, so learning from my past pain has allowed me to just give me a higher floor when it came to my confidence level. So I could completely go out and crush it. Right. So for me, like I got nothing holding me back now because I was able to tear down that wall. Um, but as to your point, cash on hand, I, I, I see, I see two things. So I see what your heart is saying and what your mind is saying. Sometimes your mind is saying math, mathematically, this makes a lot more sense. Right. But what I believe is, yes, that's good. That's what I call the practical side of money. But the psychological side is something that you want because you want that peace in your life that you can't really explain. It's just like a level of over like, like joy and contentment that nobody else could explain. It's, it's and, comfort. It's, it's, and it's, it's, it's comfort. It really is. It, and it, and it doesn't really have much to do with how much money you have. You could have $5 million in the bank and still feel like you're clawing at everything yeah. and like really unsettled. Yeah. So for me, understanding what your heart is saying and like getting that peace there and also making sure the numbers make sense, however that looks. And that puzzle piece is only that only something that you can put together, yeah. not somebody else. And, and right? it's, so, it's called personal finance for a reason, meaning whatever works for you works for you. And it's not going to work for someone else. But the personal issues also come with, you know, no one can really tell you how, like no one could have told you or really taught you how to overcome your trauma. Mental problems require mental solutions. Now, someone could teach you practices on how to reach that. So that's what I'm going to ask you. You, you said, I just dealt with it. I looked in and I realized, you know, easier said than done. How did you, what practices did you do? What techniques did you use? How did you find that in yourself to overcome this? And how do you teach something like that to others? If you even teach that at all. Yeah. So like I said earlier, I focus more on the behavioral side. So ident identifying unhealthy patterns um, and behavior uh, with your money, right? Now there's also a clinical side. So I strongly suggest and encourage people to go seek financial therapy or see a psychologist or a counselor to go really deep into some of the wounds that they have when it comes to their trauma, right? But helping people identify what that is, I, I believe can start with identifying unhealthy money patterns and behaviors through their spending, right? So one way is to do it through their spending and then digging deep. And I like to use a concept of like the five whys method. Um, so why did you buy that house? Why did you buy a house that is completely oversized? Like you don't even need it. It's just you living there. Why'd you buy a house that has like five bedrooms? It's just like you live in there. Well, I bought it because I wanted to, I, I need a space for it. And so you keep digging deeper as to why that's happening. So like you get your first why, you get a response. And then your second why is based off of that response. Your third why is based off of that response. You take, you keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's usually a reason that you don't really want to tell other people about. It could be identity issues. It could be, um, 
selfishness. It could be your, it could be your desire for comfort, desire for control, desire for power, all these things that are the root reason as to why you behave the way you do at the top. Right. And so helping people understand that versus, Oh, I, I just need to buy this because I need it. Or why do you need to buy this hundred thousand dollar Ferrari? I mean, if you want to buy it, great. But if you're like really trying to figure out and pinpoint like, huh, I'm in a lot of debt. Let's figure out why this is happening. I think looking at your spending and then digging deep is a really good way to go too. So when you're working with people, helping them understand their behaviors, the first step, create a budget, look at their budget. Where is their money going? Just lay out the land. No. So I, I talk about psychology. It's more, um, it's more general. So talking about the brain talking and giving people awareness that the behaviors they have today, the habits they have today are actually because of the culmination, the sum of all experiences in their life, but primarily in the first seven years of your life, Cambridge university actually had a study uh, a bunch of behavioral scientists, they came together to a study and they determined that the first seven, by age seven, your money behaviors uh, and habits are set. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? So by yeah, age I don't, seven- I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> I mean, the, so this, this doesn't, doesn't pass the sniff test for me uh, because seven, I didn't understand money at seven. I didn't have an allowance at seven. I didn't it, know anything it, about it, money it, at seven. It, that doesn't matter. Okay, that so how, so so break down this break down this study for me then. So, it it's not like hey, my dad didn't talk about money with me when I was right. seven, or it's not my dad, um, said I should put my money in a savings account versus a Roth IRA. It is the underlying behavior that is being developed and formed by the age of seven because. You don't have kids right now, but whenever I say something, my kids will repeat it back to me. I'm, they're like a mirror image of me. It's kind of scary, right? So by the, by the age of seven or eight, it's the most formative years of your life, and you are a sponge. You're going to be absorbing every single thing, and it doesn't have anything to do with money. I actually wrote about this recently. Client, former client, wanted to was making 50000 bucks a year. She wanted to make more money, and she, uh, I said, "How much money do you want to make?" She said, "75." I said, "Okay, uh, one out of 100." She's like, "Can't do it." So why not? So we started digging deeper. The conversation took a while, and growing up, her dad would say stuff like, "You can't get the A in the class." You can't make the varsity team. You can't get into the college that you want. So all those things, now those, that, that, those conversations she remembered from you know when she was older, but like all those things, the same tone was happening when she was much younger too. And so what did that do? That really depressed her level of confidence, self-worth, and motivation for a lot of things in life. And that behavior can be seen in a lot of areas in her life because she's just very timid and hesitant and fearful. And that same fear can be seen in money. So realizing 
I don't know if I can make 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars. And even if she tried, it's like, okay, well maybe I could try to make it. And if I don't end up making it, then I just realized that my, what my dad was telling me was true. Nothing to do with money by age seven. Yeah. But everything to do with money by age everything, seven. Everything to do with money because like you said earlier, you know. It's, the, it's, the, under, it's the underlying it's the underlying behavior. It's the underlying behavior of literally everything revolves. Everything you do revolves yeah. about money. So they, they talk about money scripts and money scripts is yeah. great. Part of money scripts is like, oh, what kind of conversation did you guys have around the dinner table when it came to money? How did you see your mom spend money? How did you see your dad spend money? Did your mom and dad talk about money? Did your mom and dad fight about money? All those are important, but there's an underlying reason for all those things happening. It's not the money conversation. It's everything else. Yeah. So, so me having gone through the pain in my own life just made me realize, oh, wow, this is, this is not about money. It's about something much deeper. And that deeper rooted cause is what's leading to certain money patterns and behaviors in my life. So what, what advice do you give to parents then? Because it's, it's impossible to raise your kid without trauma. You know, I'm not a parent, Impo- but I know that. It's, in, it's in, impossible. 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 So how, how do you mitigate the damage as best as possible? Because even your example with that woman, right? Some people, this is more rare, I would assume, would take that criticism and go, you know what? I'm going to succeed in spite of you. So it kind of has the opposite effect. Now, does that happen often? No, probably not. But it does happen. You know, most successful people come from... Crazy childhoods. Like a lot of comedians come from broken families and adversity and trauma, and they athletes. use that as a tool. So professional athletes do that too. Professional athletes as well. Now, I'm not saying go and traumatize your kid, <laughs> but how do you how do you like trauma is going to happen, and how they react to trauma is one thing, but you don't want to traumatize your kid. So, how do you teach parents to avoid a situation like that where someone goes, you know, I want to make seventy five thousand dollars because I don't think I'm good enough. I I wanted to make seventy five thousand dollars because I used to think it was enough. Now it's just like $150,000 is the new $75,000 with inflation in the current market environment. But. Yeah, and your definitions can be some different than somebody else's. Right. But the underlying like motivation behind it is is could be the same, right? There might be a lot of overlap. Right. Now, I don't teach parents how to do that. You know, now I work with corporate America and I, I provide my resources to them so that way they could give it to their workforce and whatnot. Well, those workforces, those people in the workforce are still parents. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't go one-on-one, but it's more okay. of a, more of a general program. All right, so I, let, let's, let's tilt the conversation then, then you work with companies. How do you help their workforce become more productive and engaged at work? So money stress is, so 75% of American employees rank money stress as their number one stressor. And the two top contributing reasons as to why they're stressed is revolving credit card debt and inability to save. Think about that. Revolving credit card debt and inability to save are the two reasons as to why people rank money stress as their number one stressor. Yeah, it makes sense. But there's a, there's a deeper reason as to why that's happening. Like it, it's not just because people are spending more than they make, or it's not just because life is expensive. Yes, life is expensive, but why are we continually being in debt and why are we continually not being able to save? There's the spend, a deeper the, reason. The spending habits, right? Yeah, it's there's like a deeper throwing, reason. Throwing money at that problem isn't going to fix the problem. Like if you're making $50,000, you get promoted to $80,000 and you don't fix the habits, guess what? You're just going to buy more expensive things and repeat those habits in more expensive ways. 
hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't fix the root cause your lifestyle inflation is going to follow follow along. Absolutely. So, so we provide, um, the, uh, a program that focuses on the money psychology. So people could actually go through it themselves. Um, and also the, the practical aspects of money, which is, which is, uh, understanding how to budget knowing, you know, basic financial literacy, but the combination of the two are really important. So along with that, I come in and do workshops, speaking events, um, across the country and, and try to try to do that as well. Awesome. All right, Dave. Excellent. I think, I think you're doing great work. I'm very excited to see where the next step of your business takes you. Again, money psychology is something I could go in for hours and hours and hours and really breaking it down. I would love you to do a case study on me and see why I spend how I spend. But personally, I think I, think I don't spend too crazy. Um, and maybe that's because of some traumas. I, I think my trauma is more related outside the household. Personally, that's a conversation for another day. Um, so please... Final, final thing, just tell everyone where they can find you, your LinkedIn, your business, how someone can get in touch with you to work with you. Any plugs, any and all, the floor is yours, my friend. Yep. So my LinkedIn, where I'm active, uh, very active on, is uh, Dave Wan, W-O-N. And my website is budgetcaptain.co. And uh, you, could, you could reach me from either of those avenues. Excellent. All right, ladies and gentlemen, th- big thank you to my guest, David Wan. That it con- concludes this episode of the podcast, a personally oriented discussion centered all around select topics. If you want to be interviewed by me, as David was, go to willytproductions.com to find all the information on my services. I do this. I put you down in this pretty graphics package that can be edited and swapped in and out. Your graphics and designs can be put all over it. Dave and I had about a half hour, 45 minute conversation to go over the topics and discussions on this podcast, the questions were formed. Some of them were written down. Some of them weren't. A lot of these were spontaneous on-the-spot conversation starters. And the podcast goes just like this. It's entertaining, informative, and discussion-based. With me, your host, Will Tarashuk. T is in Thomas, A-R-A-S-H. You can find me, email me at will at willytproductions.com. It's W-I-L-L-Y-P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N-S.com. Dave, I want a mouthful. You got to practice that. It's a lot harder than you think it is. Uh, And yeah, that concludes the end of the podcast. I'll be back next time speaking to who knows. We'll see. But I'll see you there. And until then, y'all take care.